James 3, and we'll read verses 1 through 11. I think I meant to say 1 through 12, anyway. James 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So far from James. As we reflect on what we've read, let's sing together from Psalm 141, stanzas 1 through 3. Every Sunday in the afternoon service, we turn to the Heidelberg Catechism as a summary of the Christian faith to learn there the doctrines of the Christian faith. And we find ourselves this afternoon in Lord's Day 43. That's on page 557 of your books of praise. There, the question is, what is required in the Ninth Commandments? I must not give false testimony against anyone. Twist no one's words, not gossip or slander, nor condemn or join in condemning anyone rashly and unheard. Rather, I must avoid all lying and deceit as the devil's own works, under penalty of God's heavy wrath. In court and everywhere else, I must love the truth, speak and confess it honestly, and do what I can to defend and promote my neighbor's honor and reputation. So far the Heidelberg Catechism. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, how many of you have ever had the experience that you were caught up in a web of your own lies? Perhaps most of us to some degree, you know how it works. You tell one lie over something that's trivial, something that really doesn't even matter. You didn't need to lie about it. But then you find you have to tell another lie to cover up your original lie. 
And then the lies pretty quickly become a snowball, taking a life of their own. And you have to keep on telling more and more lies to sustain the story. And it becomes more and more unimaginable, like this giant house of cards. And you you quickly discover your entire life is turning into a lie. All because of one trivial, unnecessary initial lie. Lying is is so native to our hearts that nobody ever needs to teach a child to lie. They just start doing it on their own. I remember when I was a child, I always had this gift of coming up with creative solutions to problems, and my brother and I were doing something I can't recall, and we needed some string. And I I would usually go up to my mom's room, she had this pirate's chest full of yarn and other strings, and it was a wonderful thing, but we couldn't find it. And so we thought, where will we get string? Well, there's shoelaces in the garage and all those shoes, and, and no one's using those shoes, right? So we, we pulled the shoelaces from that and solved our, our problem, so, so we thought. Well, apparently they weren't just anyone's old shoes tossed away, and that evening our, our mom asked us, what happened to all the shoelaces in the garage? Do you know what happened to them? You know how kids go, no, I don't know. What, what happened to the shoelaces? And like they just vanished into thin air. They were there one moment and then they were gone. And of course, our parents weren't buying the story. And, and they would ask us, they, they went through us kids one by one, did you take the shoelaces? And every one of us with a straight face, including yours truly, nope, didn't take it. Kids don't need to learn to lie. Well, on that particular occasion, she got to my younger brother, and he said, nope, John took it. (laughs) So that story was over uh, quickly. But uh, I recall after a good spanking, we we got exiled to the garage to reinstall all the shoelaces. And before we went, my mom told us, she she read a, a text from Revelation and told us to think about the fact that the Bible does say that liars will be cast into hell. It's a very memorable occasion. The truth is, though, my mom was, was right. She was quoting Revelation 21, verse 8. As for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, which is the second death. Oh, well, have you ever told a lie? The truth is, most of us do it without even thinking about it, often without even realizing that we're telling a lie. Let's say your boss asks you to do something. You've all had this, and you keep putting it off. You know you, you haven't forgotten. You know you have to do it, but you keep putting it off for reasons that aren't, aren't good. And, and later your boss comes and asks you, did you do what I asked you to do? And, and how do you respond? You say, oh, no, I forgot. Or I, I don't think I did do it yet. That may be telling the truth. I don't think I did it yet. But the feigned expression of surprise is a lie. Uh, You didn't forget. You knew, and you didn't do it. Uh, Lying comes so naturally, so second nature to us, that most of the time we don't even realize we're lying. It's it's simply arranging the facts or, or choosing the words in order to make the situation more favorable to ourselves. Sometimes we leave a little bit out that... Uh, We'd rather they not know. Uh, We tell part of the story. We use all the right words to connote the right emotions. Uh, We let people fill in the blanks in ways that uh, we suspect will help us out. 
Uh, you think of Joseph's brothers as well, right? After they sold him into slavery, and they, they killed a pig, and they spread the blood on, on his coat. And then they gave that to their father, and, and they said, We found this. Is that Joseph's coat, you think? Did they tell a lie? No, they didn't. They never said anything untrue, and yet they deliberately led their father to believe the wrong conclusions. It's a rearranging of the truth. Well, what we want to recognize as we come before the ninth commandment is that God detests lying and untruthfulness. Proverbs 6, verse 16. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to Him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make, that make haste to run e- to evil, and a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Seven things the Lord hates, and lying makes the list twice. Our goal in this series, uh, as we've been working through the Ten Commandments, has been to hear those words, uh, the words of the Lord in response to our sins, with open ears, to listen to what our Father would teach us. And as we take the time to meditate on His Word, to allow Him to, to show us where these sins might still exist within our lives. We remember that, as we saw also this morning, Christ came to take our sins away. That's been our goal as we work through the Ten Commandments, that as we draw near to our Savior, as we listen to His voice, we would see Him also begin, begin changing our lives. He set us free our hope now is to live as a free people. So there's three, three questions I want to be asking this morning or this afternoon as we work through this issue. Number one, we want to consider why this issue of lying matters so much to God. Second, we want to also ask how we might still be giving room to lies within our own lives. And number three, as we draw near to Christ how we can learn to reflect His commitment to truth and faithfulness and trustworthiness. Those are our three questions that we'll be working through this afternoon. Now, something that should be said at the outset of this commandment is that uh, the commandment is specifically about lying or, or giving false testimony against your neighbor. So, the ninth commandment is not just a blank uh, statement, you shall not lie, It is specifically, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. It's a bit more narrow there than than lying in general. And it has to do primarily with the context of a courtroom. That's why we read earlier from Deuteronomy 19. It shows the important role of eyewitnesses. Now, it's good to recognize there where it requires two or three witnesses. This is in a case where there is no other evidence. Evidence may also serve as a witness and may reduce the need for, for additional witnesses. Uh, today, we have camera phones, we have fingerprints, we have DNA evidence. They didn't have all of these things. And there, then, the role of the eyewitness was crucial. A person would live or die based entirely on the word of the witnesses. And so a false witness would, in effect, be a murderer. That's why the law of God requires two or, ideally, even three witnesses in a crime. Now, you, if you recall, that passage also talks about the role of the judge. Uh, the judge's job 
is to inquire diligently into the crime, to, to cross-examine the witnesses. And if it was found that one of the witnesses was a false witness, was lying, then the law there was that the, the, the false witness would receive the same punishment that he or she had intended for the person who was accused. If it was a, a, an accusation of a death penalty crime, they would receive the death penalty. And the law also specified uh, that if the person was condemned, then the witness would be the one to throw the first stone. And the reason for this is because it's very easy for us to throw out accusations. We, we do this sometimes, just left and right, throwing out accusations, condemning people with our words. There the law calls us to take our words very seriously. Someone will live or die on the basis of your words. And if you're going to accuse them, then you ought also to be willing to throw the first stone. So, if you think about it, the the ninth commandment is really an extension of the sixth commandment. You shall not murder. Uh, Words have the power to kill. And and we need to recognize that isn't only true even within the context of the courtroom. If you look at the rise in in teen suicides in our day uh, that are the result of of things like cyberbullying, that too shows that our words can kill. They can have damaging consequences. Now, I know we teach our kids, you've probably taught your kids the same thing, uh, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. And that's, that's true. We want to develop thick skin so we don't uh, lose our, our minds every time we're insulted. Uh, and yet, the, we shouldn't be naive about the truth that words can kill. Words can hurt us. Uh, destructive and lying words do damage. Uh, they can even kill someone or cause them to kill themselves. So God's word is not naive about that reality, and that's why an entire commandment is devoted to that truth. And we also read from James 3. James 3 talks about the destructive power of an unrestrained tongue. See, we often say, it's just words, it's just words, what's it matter? But James tells us a single destructive word can be like a spark that starts an incredibly destructive fire. Uh, Lies can take a life of their own and do incredible damage and irreversible damage. Uh, And so can vicious, destructive words. We, We should recognize destructive words or abusive words are also lies. They, they speak untruths about the people we are demeaning or, or degrading. Uh, if you think about it, how many of you have, have, have done this, you've said something in a moment of anger, you've said words that have long-lasting, damaging consequences. Our words can hurt, damage, and destroy, and they do so very easily. There's a story told of a woman in the uh, 16th century who was known to be a slanderer and a gossip. And the the minister was preaching on on this topic, and she was convicted of this truth, that she was a slanderer and a gossip. And she came to the preacher, and she confessed it to him. Now, the preacher assured her of God's mercy. He explained to her the gospel. But then he also asked her to do something else. He he told her, go into the city, buy a, a, a freshly killed chicken with all of its feathers still on, and then bring it back to me, and as you go, pluck out all the feathers. So she did so. She was a little perplexed at this request. 
she arrived back at his house some distance from the city, and she presented him with this clean chicken. Good, he said. Now go and retrace all your steps and gather up all the feathers that you plucked. Well, she looked at him in despair. She said, I, how could I possibly gather them? I, I tossed them every which way, and the wind carried them off to who knows where. Yes, said the minister, and that's what happens when we tell lies and gossip. You scatter them, and there's no way that you can ever gather them back again. That's what James is talking to about the, the forest fire that is, that is uh, set in, in place uh, by one single destructive spark. It's irreversible damage. And so the Apostle James does speak very seriously about it. Uh, he, he says that the, the unrestrained tongue sets things on fire and is ultimately set on fire by hell. How easily we scatter damaging lies and gossip and destructive words without even realizing it far more than ever we can pick up and, and clean up uh, to, to, to restore things back again. Uh, James says there's not a man or woman on earth who's able to fully tame their tongue. If anyone ever did have that level of self-control, he says they, they must be a perfect person, able to control their whole body as well. Who among us can claim to never have spoken a careless, uh, untruthful, or damaging word? The Lord Jesus also teaches us that on the day of judgment, we will have to give an account for every careless word that we speak. You think about all your conversations, your phone calls, your text messages, Facebook, Twitter, uh, even the words that maybe you've spoken to yourself in, in the privacy of your home or your car. Not one of us is ever able to keep track of all of these words, and yet they are recorded in God's book, and Jesus tells us we'll have to give an account for them. Well, the destructive power then of our tongues is, is really a, a window into the perverted nature of our hearts. Uh, we were created, we've seen this every commandment, we were created to love God, to know God, to love Him, and to live with Him. And we were created also to show and reflect that love to our neighbor. What we do with our tongues shows how far we have fallen from that created purpose. And when we use our words to destroy our neighbor, uh, we what we demonstrate is, is not just a lack of love for our neighbor, we demonstrate ultimately a lack of honor and respect towards God because our neighbor is an image bearer of God. Uh, we, are, we are vandalizing God's image when we use destructive or demeaning or degrading words. Uh, also, false testimony that destroys the honor, reputation uh, of someone else, uh, destroys someone who's made in God's image. First uh, John 4, verse 20 says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, the image of God that you get to see, cannot love God whom he has not seen. If we casually and thoughtlessly spread out evil through our words, we're demonstrating a lack of love for God. So we see that God takes this commandment very seriously. We want to also consider what are the ways in which we may yet have areas that need work. 
The, the catechism lists a number of ways that uh, we typically violate this commandment. And in the first place, it says we are not to give false testimony about others. Now, that obviously includes perjury in a court setting, lying about someone in the context of court, but it also includes spreading lies about them outside of the context of court. It also includes withholding truths that would honor our neighbor's reputation. The Catechism also talks about twisting people's words. Think about this in the context of our culture. Twisting someone's words is when we we take their words, but we pull them out of context to, to make it sound like they said something else. You think of how prolific this is in, in politics or in the media. You see this all the time on both ends of the uh, political spectrum. People ripping context or ripping words out of their context to make it look like someone said something that they didn't say or didn't mean. It's trying to put them in the worst possible light. And we do this. We do this to each other as well. This includes paraphrasing someone in a way that's not really true to their original intent. Uh, You can usually tell when this is done by asking someone when they say, you know, he or she said such and such, and you ask them, wow, is that really what they said? And then they tell you, well, it's basically what they said. Basically. Well, basically is code word for it isn't, but I'd like you to think that that's what they said. This is twisting people's words. It can be done by wrongly paraphrasing. It can be done by changing just a word or two. It can be done by taking words out of context. And very often, lies like these that come so second nature to us, uh, they, they very often have a grain of truth. That's what makes it possible for us to pretend that that's what these people said or to even believe that that's what uh, these people said. Even though we're deliberately making what they said even worse, yet there may be a grain of truth that makes us dislike what they said in the first place. Uh, This happens especially when we already dislike someone or distrust someone, and so we're disposed to see them in the worst possible light and, and without even thinking we interpret their words in a way that is unfair. That's what twisting people's words refers to. The Catechism also talks about gossip. How many of us gossip? Gossip is sharing uh, potentially damaging information about someone uh, that others don't need to know. That's the key that, that makes it gossip. It's damaging, and the people we're speaking to don't need to know it. It's when we say, you know, did you hear about what so-and-so did. And it doesn't even need to be false information for it to be gossip. It might be true, but still inappropriate to share. Now, often we do this with a very righteous sort of pretext. You know, I'm sharing this with you so that you can pray for this person. Or I'm sharing this because I really want to help them and I'm not sure what to do. And those, those, both those stories may well be true. But what we need to ask is, is that really our motive when we share things? Uh, And one of the ways we can measure that is by asking, would I say this if the person was right here? Or would I say this if the Lord Jesus was standing right here? That reveals the the true intention of our heart. So we are not to gossip. We are also not to condemn or join in condemning rashly and unheard. What this means is, condemning before we know the facts. 
We do this. We, we do this so easily. We hear an accusation and we immediately take sides, not because of what's true or untrue, but because of allegiances that we already have. Now, this is condemning rashly and unheard. Now, Proverbs 18, verse 17 says, The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. Again, you only have to look at the news to see this kind of thing everywhere, where an allegation is considered as good as proof. And people's lives and careers can be destroyed on the basis of mere allegations, many of which often turn out not to be true. Uh, No matter how tempting it is, Christians cannot join the mob mentality of our culture that rises up in arms on the basis of merely an accusation. Uh, we think especially of the, the Me Too hashtag that is taken up in, in our culture, and it's a, it's, it's a divine judgment on, on abusers who have long been allowed to get away with their abuse. That's something uh, we celebrate as Christians, that finally our society is, is coming to terms with this. However, that does not give us license to rush along in condemning before we know the truth. It's a very tempting thing to do within our culture, to condemn merely because we've heard an accusation. Uh, And it's something our culture uh, knows and and is willing to to do nonetheless. Uh, There was a writer in the magazine Teen Vogue who who posted on Twitter a few months back about the Me Too movement. Uh, She said, if some innocent men's reputations have to take a hit in the process of undoing the patriarchy, then that's a price I'm absolutely willing to pay. Well, that is not a price that any Christian who loves the truth should be willing to pay. Yes, it is a good movement, but we must still hold our allegiance to the truth and defend the reputations of those who are innocent. Uh, we can sympathize with the desire to take down evil, powerful men, but the moment we join the mob to condemn the innocent, then we become the perpetrators, they become the victims. Uh, This can be uh, frustrating because the process of justice takes time and we want abusers to be uh, removed and incarcerated immediately, uh, but that is never an excuse for condemning rashly. This is true also, of course, within the church. Uh, The the reality is that the church uh, has very often uh, been wrong in in sweeping abuse cases under the rug, And, and this is true in every Christian denomination But even so, we guard ourselves against a mob mentality. Uh, We must know the truth. Uh, We we can learn, especially from the instruction given to the elders in in Deuteronomy 19. Their job was to to inquire diligently. It takes patience. It takes searching out of the truth. And we are never to show partiality. Even when there's great social pressure to do so or emotional pressure to do so, the truth is is where our first allegiance must lie, because our allegiance ultimately lies uh, with God. And so may it not be that as a church we, we fall into this movement and begin to condemn rashly and unheard. You think of Job's friends who had an emotional commitment to seeing that Job was wrong, and it allowed them to condemn him. And at the end of his uh, story, they are condemned while he is vindicated. Our emotions or our prejudices, or our prior allegiances in either direction may never sway us from a pursuit of the truth. 
Instead, we are to be diligent in seeking it out. And then, once we know it, persistent and relentless in acting in accordance with the truth, no matter who may disagree or condemn us for doing so. That's the call there for the elders in in Deuteronomy 19, and it's true for every Christian today as well. Now, the Bible also talks about uh, flattery. If gossip, so gossip is saying behind someone's back what you would never say to their face. Flattery is saying to their face what you would never actually say to your friends behind their back. It's telling people lies that they want to hear, and not for the purpose of building them up, but for the purpose of using them or to, to get something for ourselves or for the purpose of destroying them. Uh, Proverbs 29, verse 5, A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. A flattery is like a net or a trap because you deliberately set a person up to fail. Uh, you make them feel more comfortable in your presence than they really ought to feel, uh, given what you say behind their back. And you set them up for stumbling because you hide their faults from themselves or you inflate their egos such that they will inevitably trip and fall. And we do this when we're either seeking to use someone for our good or when we're seeking to destroy them. We flatter them to their face. Now, flattery, of course, is different from simply speaking encouraging words uh, or upbuilding words or softening your rebukes with kindness. All of these things we're commanded to do. Uh, We are to be gentle with our words. Uh, But flattery is not the same as, as mere kindness. It's telling lies that you don't tell behind someone's back. It's buttering a person up in order to get something from them or set them up for failure. Well, brothers and sisters, here's the big idea. Our God is the God of truth, and he hates and despises every word that proceeds uh, from malice or from the desire to use or harm our innocent neighbor. In fact, Scripture teaches us that lying, including, this, this, including malicious truth-telling, Uh, Lying is the native tongue of the devil. He's also called the accuser, which is more a case of using using truth to destroy. Uh, Lying is the native tongue of the devil. The devil introduced sin into the world by means of a lie. The Lord Jesus once said to the Pharisees uh, that, that Satan has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies... He speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Flattery, gossip, lying, slander are satanic and demonic. Uh, They are utterly detested by God. Uh, uh, Proverbs 12, verse 22, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. And so the question then before us is, Since God so hates lying, and since lying does still come so easily to our natures, how might we as Christians, those who have been set free, how might we now live free? How might we put lying, the native tongue of the devil, to death in our lives so we can begin to reflect God's character of trustworthiness and faithfulness? Well, to answer that, the first thing we need to know is the gospel itself. 
You know, the words that my mother spoke to me uh, when, I, when I told that lie uh, are true. God hates liars, and liars will, uh, those whose lives are a, a pattern of lying, they will be thrown into the lake of fire. But the gospel is truth. It's the truth that Christ took the place of liars on the cross and endured the wrath of hell that liars deserved, even though Christ was the very embodiment of truth and righteousness. He died the death that all liars deserved to die. He was condemned to death, in fact, on the basis of false witness. And he did all that so that liars like you and me could be forgiven and restored to God. I hope that in the few minutes that we've spent reflecting on on this commandment, that we've all had a tender heart before God to be able to see how our, our tongue testifies to the condition of our hearts. What we do with our words reflects what lives in our hearts. But now, brothers and sisters, also come before your God. Confess your sins to God and recognize that God sent the Lord Jesus to die for your sin and for my sin as liars. The prophet Isaiah, when he uh, stood in the presence of God, he cried out, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. This is the confession of the whole church as well. I pray that it's your confession as well. That you recognize that Christ died for your unclean lips, for your lying and and deception that flows so easily from your own heart as it does from mine. That Christ died for liars like you and me. And that means that that, that we who confess our lying and deceit and turn to Christ we will not be thrown into the lake of fire, for He has gone there for us. Though we don't deserve to be saved, we will instead be received into the love of God because Christ has gone there for us. Christ once said to the Pharisees, It is not what goes into the mouth that makes a person unclean, but rather what comes out of it. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. And these are what defile a person. But Christ, think about it, Christ spoke those words because He had come precisely for those sinners. Those who were defiled by their lies. Because He is, what can, he is the one who can make defiled sinners clean again. And he not, only, he not only makes us clean in the sight of God, that's removing our guilt, but He also sends His Spirit into our lives to make us truly clean. Uh, so that even as we study the law of God through sermons such as this, that, that God uses that, the Spirit uses that to put lying and deceit to death in our lives. So that we can, as a people who are set free, begin to live as free people. And we're welcomed then into the presence of God who is truth and faithfulness. He calls us and teaches us then to reflect that same truth and faithfulness to one another. So brothers and sisters, let me call you and urge you to renew your commitment to reflecting the truthfulness of God, to putting lies and deception to death. 
It's a long process. We saw that this morning. He who uh, thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. It's a process. It takes a lifetime. And yet, uh, it is a process that is empowered by the Holy Spirit himself. The exhortation last week, after the sermon last week about stealing, the exhortation was, uh, he who has stolen, let him steal no more, but work with his hands to be able to give to those in need. With lying, there is no, no easy cleaning up of, of what you have done. You can't simply restore what you have stolen. There are lies that you can correct and should correct, but they are like the feathers scattered on the wind. You cannot collect them all. But certainly, if you have told lies that you do know, do go and correct those lies. That's a, it's an act of repentance to correct lies that we have told. Uh, it, of course, will never make up for what was done, uh, but uh, because that, that cannot ever be fixed, a destroyed reputation also cannot be restored. But it will be the first step in learning to honor and love God's truth above even our own interests or fears, to shatter the idols in our hearts that led us to those lies in the first place. It's a hard thing to do, but it is the necessary thing to do. And finally, pray. Pray to God that He would show you where there may still be lying and deception at work in your life. Malice also. uh, Malice that needs to be dealt with. And pray to God for the power of the Holy Spirit to put that malice and deception to death. Uh, we think of the prayer in the prayer of Agur in Proverbs 30, verse 8. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Let that be our prayer as well. And then come near to the God of truth every day as he reveals himself in his word and also here as we worship him together. Uh, there's nothing, there's nothing that, that will sanctify us from lying and, and deceit uh, like coming near the presence of the God who is truth and living in relationship with Him. The moment Isaiah was brought into the presence of God, the first thing he realized was, I'm a man of unclean lips. Uh, so it is when we stand in the presence of God. And that will sanctify us when we stand there with the comfort of the gospel. The Lord Jesus taught us through the gospel that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. How good and precious and valuable the truth is by which we know our God and then how important it is to uphold and guard that truth. Amen. Let's respond by singing together from Psalm 101, stanzas 1 through 6.